I am hosting a retreat in Tulum, Mexico, in paradise this October called Bloom in Tulum. It's a five-day, all-inclusive, personal and professional growth retreat for ambitious, big-hearted women who are ready to step into their power with grace, support, and confidence. So my two biz besties and I dreamed up this magical retreat over sushi a few months back, and after lots of planning, it's actually happening. We have mapped out a thoughtful itinerary with lots of downtime to make the most of this beautiful paradise beachside location and also set you up for a powerful and memorable experience of growth. There's only 20 spots available and all three of us are promoting it to our full community. So that's like over 50,000 people. So I imagine the spots will fill very quickly. If you are interested in joining us in Bloom and Tulum, go to bloomintulum.com for all the details and to complete your application. Also know that early bird pricing ends on June 30th. So it's a really good time to secure your spot and save some money. I mean, honestly, like how fun would it be to hang out in person at a gorgeous, luxurious, all-inclusive in October? So head to Bloom in Tulum. That's B-L-O-O-M in Tulum. T-U-L-U-M. Bloomintulum.com for all the details and complete your application. So much of behavior is around the mind. It's how you think. How you think creates how you feel, and how you feel creates your behavior. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 276. Today, we're talking about understanding attachment with Paula Sachs. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm happy to be talking to you and connecting, and I'm really glad that you are here today. And if you're brand new, thank you very, very much for picking the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm so happy to connect with you too. This is going to be a fabulous episode. In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Paula Sachs. She's a licensed clinical social worker and attachment specialist, and she's an award-winning author, and she's passionate about developing secure attachments in children. So you've probably heard of attachment theory. You know, we, we talk about what it is, if you haven't heard of it, and we talk about how we can help our children develop a secure attachment, which is so, so important. And then we're also gonna talk about what if I don't have a secure attachment style myself? So we're gonna discuss how secure attachment and how the attachment relationship develops and how the primary caregivers set this foundation for all of our future relationships. It's a really fascinating conversation and really enlightening in that it gives us more understanding and awareness of ourselves and our children. So you're going to learn about what are the three styles of attachment and then the five primary conditions needed for the secure attachment and then how, why we really want to be intentional about our interactions. So this is a powerful and really informative episode. I know you're going to like it so much. And now join me at the table as I talk to Paula Sachs about attachment. Paula, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. And then you just said like, you were hypnotizing someone. So now I have all these questions about that, but we're supposed to talk about, I would love to talk about attachment, of course, too. Um, of course, there's a lot, I guess we could talk about, but um, we haven't talked a lot about attachment on the Mindful Mama podcast. And yet I know how important it was. I remember like the light bulbs going off in psychology class in college and being like, oh my God, was I insecurely attached? And just like wondering all these questions about it. And, and of course, then a lot of us, a lot of parents know a lot about attachment 
theory uh, or, you know, attachment parenting, right? Like we know that, that that's the importance of attachment sort of through that idea and like, you know, holding the baby and baby wearing and all of that stuff. But maybe you could kind of give us like kind of the basics of, of what attachment is and why it's so important first. Oh, I'd love to. So um, you just touched upon attachment parenting. Attachment parenting is actually different than attachment mm-hmm. theory. Mm-hmm. Attachment parenting came out of attachment theory, and it's a little bit different approach because the approach for attachment parenting is really staying with the baby and meeting the baby's needs 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. But attachment theory actually came about, we've been doing research on attachment for probably 70 years, but it really about 40 years ago. We started really honing in on the relationship between the mother and the child. And when I was in graduate school, I was one of five undergrads selected to do an attachment research for a year. And my teacher said, we need five people and it's like two semesters. And I was thinking easy, a, you know, no papers, no reading, nothing. I was like, okay, I'll try it. Fell in love with attachment because I was the one who would stand behind the one-way mirror with the mother while we did these interactions and the interactions were like the parent and baby were filmed for three minutes in a room and it was the way they kind of interacted. And then a moment, like after three minutes, a stranger would walk in and sit and we'd notice the baby and how the baby would respond. And this is about 12, 12, um, about 12 months of age. And this is a time that the baby would start getting kind of like a little bit like, you know, who is this person, you know, stranger anxiety, et cetera. And then after three minutes, the mother would leave and leave the baby with the stranger. And we'd film that interaction. How did the baby respond? And then the mother would come in and the stranger would come out and we would film the, the, the reuniting behavior. So then the mother would leave, the baby would be by himself, and we'd notice how the baby kind of reacted to this situation. And then the stranger would come into the baby, another three-minute episode. And was the stranger able to calm the baby, et cetera? And then the mother would come in, the stranger would leave, and the study would be over. But what we found, which is different than attachment parenting, is attachment parenting is stay with the baby 100% of the time. But attachment theory is really focusing on the relationship of the mother baby. And the reason why I'm saying mother is because most of the time that's what we filmed was the mother, but it can be the primary caregiver, which means the person who's with the baby the most often. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what attachment theory does is we take a look at the relationship. We also look at the, at the disruption. Disruption means when the mother's not there or a stranger's there or the baby's alone and then how they reunite. And out of this study, we were able to come up with the five primary conditions needed for secure attachment. Hmm. So, okay. So now one thing I want to like point out here, that's pretty interesting is that like, you know, here in the United States, we are like, you know, it's just like a one family by themselves in a little house. Right. But in a lot of cultures, a baby is like passed from person to person to person, you know, and there's, a, there's probably a lot of different attachments, I imagine. So, I mean, obviously this didn't, this isn't taking that into account. It's kind of looking at this one primary attachment with, with the mother. Right. So I'm just curious, it it did, did it take that into account in any way? It does in the sense, like, let's say Israel, for instance, they have kibbutzes where, you know, a lot of they're, they're like a a community that raises a child. Mm -hmm. And we find that actually children are highly more secure in a situation like that. We also know that let's say in, let's say some other countries, I wanna say like China where there's a lot of factory workers, we see a lot of dismissing attachment Mm. because children are put into, let's say away from the family, away from the mother, put into like Mm. a situation where there's one person take caring of a lot of children, Mm -hmm. All right. And the children are not getting their needs met on more of a consistent, reliable way. And that kind of fosters a little bit of insecure attachment. And this isn't about country. It's Mm -hmm. about style. Mm -hmm. And when I talk about attachment, I'm really I like to not label people because everybody I have people coming to my office saying, Paula, I know that I am an anxious, preoccupied, dismissive style. And I'm like, really, (laughs) you you think you know that? This is, you know, because we all have this this tendency when we read something or a list of characteristics that we're like, oh, that's me, Mm -hmm. you know? And we all, everybody has an attachment style the same way everybody has a zodiac sign. Mm -hmm. And a zodiac sign has characteristics, 
but it doesn't match us 100% of the time. So when I talk about attachment, I'm really talking about a set of characteristics that a person has. So you either have like positive characteristics for secure attachment, which is kind of like in adults, you'll see them where they seek closeness, they um, are comfortable with mutual dependency, they have a positive self-image, they're, they're, they're warm and open with others, they have self-esteem, self-observational you know, skills, um, relationships tend to be stable. This is, this is a cluster of behaviors. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then when we see in the two types of insecure attachment, which is dismissive, or the cluster of behaviors for an anxious preoccupied, we also see kind of maladaptive behaviors, all right? And so for a dismissive, we see people that are kind of like aloof or hang back or kind of like an island onto their own. They're very comfortable alone. As a matter of fact, they're more comfortable alone than they are with people, all right? So this is what I mean by maladaptive. And we also see they have like a fear of a closeness. They, they tend to dismiss their own accomplishments, the accomplishments of other people. And then the other type would be the anxious preoccupied side, which is a little bit more clingy and needy and, um, you know, not comfortable with being alone. They would much prefer at their own expense to be with people. And that tends to be a little bit more rumination about the past or um, jealousy, and compulsive caretaking because they that's how they're trying to meet their needs and attachment really plays out in a dyad because it's created in a dyad and for instance when a baby comes into the world they need another person for their survival 100% a baby cannot function on its own coming into the world so a relationship is already established just by a baby coming into the world and someone taking care of that baby and the whole idea of attachment, it's to kind of like, it's the relationship that's in service of this child because it helps the child with emotional regulation. It meets a child's needs and it helps to set up the exploration later on. So attachment is really about in very early, and I want to say zero to 12 months or 18 months or even 24 months. We know that there's five primary conditions. And what we're talking about is that a mother, caregiver, grandparent, whomever is going to meet that child's needs in a way that the child can trust in the relationship, trust in the person, and then can trust later on in the world. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, that's so you what attachment is. So you're describing like these different sort of styles of attachment and that secure attachment is what we're wanting, right? Obviously that's the middle, that's like got all the positive characteristics. And I imagine there's a continuum, right? When you may have different attachment styles, probably in different relationships too. But so, but for us as parents, we're, for our kids, we're wanting to give them that security. We want them to feel that trust in the world. We don't want them to grow up anxious and, and worried and preoccupied and all of those things, even if, and for the challenges, right? For a lot of parents is like, I may feel anxious and worried and preoccupied and all of those things. So, so how do I give my child this sort of secure attachment? But I think, uh, you know, maybe we'll, we'll see as you're going to describe, but like uh, in the, in the, in the stages, it's, it's pretty clear, right? Like, it's just like meeting those needs and that love and all of those things. But you tell me, like, what are those, what are those conditions that we need for a, a secure attachment? We are supported by Melon Headwear. These hats are perfect for Father's Day. They are built to be in and around water. They last five times longer than any other hat. They're naturally antimicrobial properties. It doesn't, sweat doesn't break down the hat. No sweat stains, no smell ever. It's built for the water. We tested it tubing on the Brandywine River and it was fabulous. It even floats when it drops in the water. It doesn't lose shape. It is amazing. An incredible, comfortable fit. Use code MINDFUL at checkout for 30% off your order. If you're trying to figure out a Father's Day gift, honestly, trust me, this is exactly what they want. Go to melon.com, that's M-E-L-I-N.com, and use the code MINDFUL at checkout for 30% off. Melon rarely offers discounts, so don't miss this opportunity. It is, I swear, the perfect Father's Day gift. 
premium headwear, melon.com. Use the code mindful for 30% off. We are sponsored by Midi Health. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, vaginal dryness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. All of these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around perimenopause and menopause, and the experts at Midi Health understand what you're experiencing and how to help. Midi clinicians are menopause experts dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions. Medicare is covered by insurance, and with Midi Health, you can stop pushing through it all alone. Schedule a virtual visit to discuss your symptoms and health background in depth. You'll come out of the experience feeling heard and with a plan to start feeling better. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Joinmidi.com. Well, the, and, I, and I'm going to say this because a, a attachment really plays out in a, in a relationship. All right. So these five primary conditions that I'm going to talk about, it's four new mothers, like know these conditions. And one of the things, and I will say mothers and fathers and grandparents, et cetera, not just mothers. Okay. But I also want to say that they're going to play out in friendships with women, with friendships with men. They're going to play out when you're dating. They're going to play out when you're in a relationship, when you're with your husband, they're going to play out in um, a workplace. So when I talk about these five primary conditions, look at it from the lens of how you want to be in a relationship. And I'm all focused just on the baby mother right now, but you can apply these to any relationship you're in because These are about the needs. And I'm going to present them to you, these five primary conditions, from the child's perspective. This is what the child needs, for instance. Okay. So the first one is felt safety. The child must feel felt safety. This establishes trust. And the behavior of the primary caregiver is protection. All right. Now, when I say protection, I don't mean just locking them in a car seat. I don't, I, I don't mean that the parent knows that they're protected. Like that's the, the side of the crib is up. We know they're safe, mm-hmm. but we cognitively know. But that child doesn't really understand that because when a child comes in the world, they start experiencing all of these, these needs, not cognitively, but through their, sensor, their, their, their sense of sensory motor development. Mm-hmm. Right. So a child has to feel safe. And for instance, if a if a loud noise or a child is startled, it causes them to be frightened inside. And so our, our goal is to really understand that and soothe that child back to their to their regulation, mm-hmm. to, you know, to their emotional regulation, because mm-hmm. when we're able to do that, that child starts to internalize that. Yes, I'm scared, but someone has come in to help me, which gets which which. which gets kind of internalized in the sense that the world will be safe for me because I've experienced this and I've been, and it's not the end of the world and I'm not alone. I'm not dealing with it by myself. And this is why it's so important. And once again, I want to just back up just for one second and say, it doesn't mean you have to meet your child's every single need. And if you don't like 98%, your child is, you failed. No, no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it can feel like a huge tall order to like meet, meet, I mean, yeah, like an infant's needs are so immediate and demanding, but yeah, to meet every single need all the time is, and sometimes then people carry that desire to do that, like when our children are a lot older. Well, and it also becomes too much pressure on yourself and nobody is perfect. And if you strive for perfection, you're going to fail. You're going to miss the in, in the big picture. The big picture here is more often than not, just more often than not. Okay. So even if I say 60, 40 or 70, 30, you already feel just already so much more relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. More often exactly. than not. Yeah. I, and, I, and I really want to say this. It's more often than not. Okay, because there's no way anybody can meet anybody's needs 100%. And also, you actually do a disservice when you meet someone's needs 100%. Because just like I talked about that infant study I was in, 
-hmm. What we were filming is how they repair those little disruptions when a child is alone or a child's with a stranger or when they're upset or when they're nervous or when they're scared. You need those moments so you can have a corrective experience because that's what sets the stage on resilience and that's what sets the stage on, you know, self-regulation. Mm -hmm. All right. So you don't want to be perfect. You've got to have those inevitable challenges that even as an infant, you've got to have some, in, those inevitable challenges of like, it's, there's a little bit of time until mommy or daddy gets to me or whatever it is um, to, uh, we don't want to like manufacture them, but like, you know, that's life. I love that. Thank you for uh, in, un, underlining the importance of like, it's, it's just more than not. Yeah. And we don't have to be perfect. Thank you. No, and I, you know, I'll tell you something, it's too much pressure. And especially as, you know, and I'll just say from a, a, a mother perspective, because I was a mother. Mm -hmm. And not only are we mothers, but we're wives, we're, we're either single parents, or we have jobs, or we have other relationships that we're also balancing. So, you know, this all inclusive where you have to meet, you know, a child's needs at the expense of everything else, it, it, it sets you up for failure. And failure doesn't make you feel good about yourself. So what I want to present, and especially with attachment, let's focus on the positive. Let me just give you the five primary conditions. So the second one is feeling seen and known. Mm. Now, feeling seen and known is going to be in the sense that the parent behavior is attunement to really understand the interstate, the, the interstate of your child, what, what, their, what their internal world is feeling. All right. And this is important because a child has one cry. They have a, one cry and the parent has to kind of decipher, is this a hungry cry? Is my child in pain? Is my child sleepy? Mm -hmm. This is what I mean by attunement. Mm -hmm. And also like when you know, like that's, my child is off. There's something wrong here. It's this intuition that that's just not her. She's acting a little bit odd. That's what I mean by being seen and known. And what that does for a child is it really helps them with their self-development because they know that they have something and there's someone in the world that's really trying to help them figure it out because they don't have the wherewithal to figure it out. So they really need that other to come in and kind of help them. Mm. And this Thanks. is, this is really where that, that mindfulness piece comes in that like presence, like being able to be in a place of curiosity and, you know, kindness and curiosity. Who are you today? Like, let me be curious rather than kind of making the mental shortcuts. Like, let me really see and hear you. I love that. Yeah. So that's the second one. And then the third one is felt comfort. Now the child needs to internalize these feelings. It's not just pick up your child when you're crying and looking at your phone, you're doing an instrumental love, which is picking up your child. Mm -hmm. But if you're not present and mindful with that child to really soothe them and reassure them. So the child gets this internal message that when they're upset, they're going to be comforted. It's not the end of the world. You know, their whole sense of self doesn't crumble. Okay. And that they're going to, their need is going to be met once again, more often than not. Mm -hmm. All right. But what the child starts to understand is that they're going to be taught by the parent behavior, how to have emotional regulation. So they'll be able to do that themselves. The whole goal is that they are able to internalize it so they can start self-soothing. And they know that, you know, when they're disappointed, they're able to calm themselves down because they've experienced this so many times before. We don't want to have a child who's never experienced disappointment to be 17 and a half and they get rejected from Harvard. Yeah. That should not be their first disappointment in the world. And disappointments when you're 12 months old or you know, two years old or three years old, those are small disappointments. We want a lot of small disappointments that we know how to comfort and soothe. So we know that as we get older, hey, been here before, I can do this. And so I think it's like, it, it's, I love what you're saying. And it's really clear when kids are infants and like under two and things like that, that they're regulating through us. Like they're regulating their emotions through uh, their attachment to us, through coming to us for that soothing and things like that. And I, I, sometimes I think it's, it can be hard to, hard to see, I think as parents, like when, when does that transition start? Right. It, you know, as far as like how, how old are kids when the transition starts to, to more self-regulation or, you know, when, when should we expect more self-regulation? Sometimes we, we, um, 
it's it's hard to remember some for a lot of parents with a five-year-old that like they're maybe still regulating they're they're they have upset feelings so they're coming to you for that regulation do you know what i'm saying absolutely and i mean you know even as i talk about these so far i've talked about three primary conditions Mm -hmm. but these do not stand alone it's not like oh at 12 months you know security let's check that box we did it or you know at 18 months feeling seen and known we check that box these are constantly playing out all the time and they're interwoven so there's going to be times that felt safety is going to be with felt comfort. Mm. And there's going to be times that feeling seen and known is going to be played out with the fourth primary condition, which is feeling valued. And we need these as adults. Like, I mean, I mean, obviously we're talking about it for small kids and and other kids, but we need these as adults. I need all of those things too. (laughs) Well, that's the piece. If we develop them and if we develop them in ourselves. So if we, let's say, have a insecure attachment style and we go into therapy and we move our insecure attachment style into a secure attachment, then we have developed these. Mm -hmm. And so when I say that, even though we're talking about it as children, when you play this out in this relationship, it's, it will play out in all relationships because everything we're talking about, and I just love the fact that you said that because you're applying it to what you need in a, in a relationship. Well, we all need these primary conditions in a relationship. So I'm basically giving you the tools to create them if you're a mother, but I give these same tools to my couples in marriage counseling, and I give these same tools in dating when I talk about dating styles, because these are, this is the basis of secure attachment and you want a secure uh, secure attachment style marriage. Because once again, it's, it's, it's easier. It's, it's conflict. You have conflict, but you're able to resolve those conflicts. Do you know what I mean? And it play it. So let me get to the fourth one, which is feeling valued. And then we can, you know, take it on, but feeling valued is my favorite. And I've recently written two books for one is for new parents, which is called the importance of love raise. And it's based on this number four feeling valued. And the reason why I wrote it is because the only way to create self-esteem in a child is that the child has a sense of accomplishment and that the, the, the parent or caregiver rejoices in that sense of accomplishment. And when you rejoice in that sense of accomplishment, it's called amplifying the affect. And what happens is the child feels really good about themselves. And that's how you create self-esteem in a child. It's not just give a trophy because they showed up for something. That will erode self-esteem because self-esteem is created once again, when you have a sense of accomplishment in the child. And Mm -hmm. when they're young, they have all these little sense of accomplishments. They're able to, you know, go, to their room and get their blanket and bring it to you. That's a sense of accomplishment. Mm. Do you know, they're able to help you with, you know, or help a mother with the, you know, with the newborn by saying, you know, can you go to the room and get, you know, a, a, a diaper for me? The child runs along and brings it back. That's a sense of accomplishment. All right. And children have sense of accomplishment, accomplishments all the time. But this is what creates self-esteem is when you acknowledge those sense of accomplishments. And it's so important. And one of the way you, ways you can do it, and especially with children, because children learn through their eyes, not their ears. All right. So if you give a sense of accomplishment verbally, but you don't show it on your face, there's no joy or happiness coming from your face into your eyes, but you say it. Well, they don't really hear it because they don't see it. So the reason why I named my books Love Rays is to send this message that when you look at your child, even if you don't say anything, if you just pour love from your eyes into theirs, they feel good about themselves. Because don't forget, most of this is set before children have a cognitive understanding. So words mean nothing. They're assessing everything in the world by how you present to them. If you come at them with this loving face and happiness, they coo back at you. Mm. But if you come at them because you're stressed, you're busy, and you're just picking them up and have to feed them before your next phone call, that child is going to feel that anxiety. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So Absolutely. when we talk about mindful parenting, we want to really talk about being present in that moment. And that's key. And one of the things that I can't stress enough is love raise. And we know it when you, when you, and just remember that time. And if you haven't, if you're pregnant, I always tell pregnant women this as well. 
notice that moment that that child is born and that child is put in your arms. Or if you're an adoptive mother, that child, that time you meet that child, you get this surge of love and you can't stop smiling no matter how much you try. You're just in awe and wonderment of this little baby. Well, that child is feeling valued in that moment. They don't understand what they're feeling, but it feels good. It just feels good. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. So the fourth one I consider to be one of the most important. And once again, you know, felt safety is is all the time. Seen and known is all the time. It doesn't just happen in infancy. You carry this out through childhood. You carry it out through teenage years when they need it, even though they're being atrocious. You know what I'm saying? And even when they're adults, (laughs) when they're adults and you look at them with love, they feel it. We all feel it. I love that. Yeah. Uh, With my teenager, I have a 13 year old who's about to turn 14 soon. So we're, we're in the thick of that. And yes, she's grumpy and and miserable a lot of the time. And, and I try to just like send her that, you know, know, like silent mental, I love you. I appreciate you. And just tell her that, you know, because it's like, I know it's such a, incredibly hard time. So I love this. So feeling this sense of accomplishment. And as you describe this, um, I thought of, um, I just recently, my kids have been in Montessori schools all the way along and it's such an incredible, um, system, but just, we just taught, I just had a conversation with a, a Montessori educator about that. And this idea of the sense of accomplishment when you're like two years old, you know, how my two-year-old got to like make scrambled eggs and she could do all these things and she did them herself, all of these things at her level to do them her that them, themselves. I mean, the accomplishment that comes from that is like so powerful. So I think that's, uh, it, I just want to kind of make that connection mentally. It's so cool. So yeah. um, what about the fifth one? What's our fifth well, one? And the fifth one is a little bit later. And what this is, is in all of these are internalized. It's from the child's perspective once again. So when that child has experienced that, you know, all by doing these, you know, one through four, what happens is the child gets this, this feeling that they're supported 100%. And when that child gets that feeling, what happens is when they're encouraged to like be who they are and their own interest and what they're about and it's 100% support, they feel that they can go off in the world and they can find their path. 
And it's because they really do believe that there's people in the world that want the best for them. And even as I talk, you can even hear like, you know, sometimes the people who don't have this sense of self or this sense of support, and you can, you can hear it and see it. And so much of behavior is around the mind. It's how you think, how you think creates how you feel and how you feel creates your behavior. So what I'm trying to do by, by sharing these five primary conditions, it's about this internal narrative that when the child starts to learn to think, all right, so for instance, let's take feeling valued, the fourth one, you know, and more often than not, keep that in mind. So if a child is on the soccer field, let's say, and they're, and all they want to do is, you know, make a goal. That's, that's, that's all, that's our score goal. They, they just, they just want to score a goal. And let's say in that moment, you know, a parent turns away when the child gets the ball and the child, the phone rings, the parent walks away because it was, you know, taking a phone call. The parent has no idea the child's going to score a goal. Mm -hmm. Okay. And let's just say it's missed. The parent missed it. The child scored. The first thing a child will do is look at the parent to see if they saw because it's that matching, you know, come together and let me rejoice in this moment with somebody. Mm. But if a child is on the soccer field and there's no parents there and they score a goal, what happens is they kind of start dismissing those things as, okay, it's no big deal. Mm. Well, we don't want to dismiss that because that's about self-esteem. So for instance, if a parent did that, and it happens to all of us, once again, more often than not, right? If that happens once a couple of times, it's not a big deal because the child still has the reservoir of all those times that the parent was there. Mm -hmm. But let's say it happens, it happens more often than not that the parent's not there. Mm -hmm. What happens is the child will stop turning to the parent mm -hmm. and they'll start dismissing accomplishments, which is why later on in life, when you see people that, you know, score through life very well, go to the best schools, get great jobs, and then they walk in at 50 and say, I'm empty inside. Hmm. Well, it's because those they've blown off all these beautiful moments that should have been senses of accomplishment. And they were accomplishments, but they weren't rejoiced and they weren't shared and they weren't made to feel make you feel really good about yourself. Okay. Mm -hmm. They're happy they did it, but you don't have this internal joy. And one of the things that I really like to stress with um, the five primary conditions is, and I've been a mom, I've been here. It's the joy of parenting. I'm talking about the joy of parenting right now, not getting caught up in the chores of parenting and, you know, all the, the chores that go along with it, but really just take a look in these rejoicing moments because parenting should be enjoyable because what's going to be internalized is the children are going to feel that my parents really did enjoy having me around. My childhood was fun. We laughed a lot. Yeah. Everybody has issues. Everybody has stuff, but the overarching theme is going to be joy. Yeah. Yeah. We and want that. I mean, cause sorry, as you're talking about this, I think about this idea of sometimes as parents, people come with a sense of like, I want to do it right. And, and a feeling of not good enough in themselves. And so then take that feeling then to parenting and say, okay, I'm going to be at every single thing. I'm going to see every single goal. I'm going to rejoice in every single thing for my child. But that can, sometimes that can come from a sense of unworthiness in ourselves. Do, do you see what I mean? Like what, what, what happens in a, a situation like that as far as attachment goes? Well, it's interesting because um, obviously secure attachment is what we want. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just a healthier way of being. And, you know, there are attachment styles. We do learn our attachment from our primary caregiver. So let's say, for instance, you've got someone with secure attachment as a father and you've got someone with an anxious preoccupied style as a mother. You know, these styles are going to come out. And I'll give you an example just to illustrate the three different types. And I'll use it from a parent perspective. All right. So let's say we have a child who gets in the elevator. They're three years old and they say, mommy, mommy, I want to press the button. All right. We all have been there. Right. Well, a securely attached mother will know that that's a sense of accomplishment and it's a really good feeling state. So they're like, of course, go ahead and press the button. Oh, I'm so happy. This is great. You did such a great job. Okay. Because it's, 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 a, it's a shining moment. They recognize in their child that, you know, they feel really good about themselves. 
right? Mm -hmm. Now, let's say a, a person who has a dismissive attachment style, all right, gets in the elevator with the three-year-old. And the child says, mommy, mommy, I want to press the button. And the dismissive style will kind of, and the, the whole reason why it's called dismissive, they dismiss things. Mm -hmm. So that will be like, do whatever you want. I don't care. Or, you know, I'm looking at my phone. Sure, press the button. Okay. And the child presses one. Oh, well, you know, okay. Next time, you know, you'll do better or whatever, but you don't get this sense of like accomplishment. Mm. It's been dismissed. So what happens is a child will start to dismiss their own senses of accomplishment and they'll stop bringing them around. Yeah. They're just right? brushing it off. Yeah. Well, they they're don't care. So the parent's not caring about it. So you learn not to care about it. Well, you deactivate your whole attachment system and you start not, you're not, not, bringing those things to a parent because you start internalizing that's that more often not piece you start internalizing that they don't really care and that becomes the mind narrative so these behaviors will turn into a perspective and if a child has a perspective that oh yeah my dad missed it oh shoot you know he missed that goal you know he's seen all my other ones i wish he would have seen that one mm. or you know my dad really cares more about business than me so you can see how these behaviors start when a child starts to develop their cognitive ability, they start matching their cognitive ability with their sense of experience. Mm -hmm. Make sense? And then the third style is, let's say, an anxious preoccupied style of attachment gets into an elevator with a three-year-old. And an attachment, anxious preoccupied, they tend to be a little bit more focused on other things. Okay, not so much. It's like, so an anxious preoccupied style would be like, no, don't press the button. Don't, you know, let these nice people, we don't want to inconvenience all the other people in the elevator, let them press the button. So they, 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 this style will tend to be a little bit more focused on other people and not necessarily on the sense of accomplishment. Mm. So these styles will play out. Okay. All right. Interesting. So we, we want to, we want, so for us to give our kids this secure attachment that we want them to have this sense of trust in the world, all these things, we want to give them this, just to review this felt sense, this sense of safety, felt sense of safety. We want to see them and know them. We want to soothe them. We want to show them they're valued and, you know, we want to support their best self. So, but then for a parent who may have um, may discover that, well, there's a couple of things I want to go here. Um, but for a parent who may have, you know, may discover like, oh, I, I don't have that sense of secure attachment. I don't have that sense of trust in the world. I, I may be more like anxious than, than not anxious. What they, their goal then is going to be to try to help themselves get to a secure attachment place. I would say yes. And I, the reason why I say yes on that is because we have something which is, you know, even though we're talking about an attachment style, you know, these are all clusters of behaviors. Mm -hmm. And if we get the wherewithal to really understand some of the maladaptive behaviors and turn them into more an adaptive style. Okay. So someone who let's say is dismissive and I, I, I work with adults in my office. So it's very difficult to get someone who has a dismissive attachment style to come in for therapy because their stance is kind of like, there's nothing wrong with me. It's, it's the world. That's the problem. You know, I'm, I'm fine. Or they'll come into, to seek therapy or seek treatment. If the wife is insisting, okay. Or something has gone awry and they're not getting it, or they are coming in and saying, I feel empty inside. I don't know what's going on. All right. Um, they do quite well in therapy. Because what happened very early on is they have this, once again, a perceived rejection. And I'm talking about that father who turned away on the phone. You know, the child will, not that the parent rejected the child. No way did the child, the parent reject the child. The parent just took a phone call. But it's this perceived rejection on the child's part. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, and I, the one thing about attachment is I really want to make this very clear. This is not about the parents have just done something so egregious. No, 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 no. It's the way the child perceives the behavior. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, which is more often than, so we go back to more often than not. So the father turns away and I'm going to just say father on this one, because I've consistently been saying it, you know, the father turns away. Well, the child, if, if the father does that all the time, the child will start to develop this perception that the father cares more about business than him, okay? 
the father might not, but it's just in those moments, he's not aware that this is kind of a rejecting behavior. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and I don't, by all means, I say that parents do not go out of their way to neglect their children or go out of their way to cause rejection or to cause rejection. But it's the way the child will start to perceive it in their needs, you know, because children have all these needs. All right. And this is where it gets to be. It gets to be very important. And when I say focus on these five primary conditions, regardless of your attachment style, by just knowing these and really making these the primary piece in that relationship is really going to help you regardless what style you have. All right. One of the things we do know is that an anxious, preoccupied style set of behaviors, they tend to focus so much on other people. And what happens is the child starts to perceive this kind of like neglect and children will assess very quickly what mood their parent is in when they walk in the room. And if someone has, let's say a very inconsistent attachment style or is let's say an anxious preoccupied style where they're more interested in, you know, what's going on with the neighbors and making sure the neighbors are happy that they just kind of push their child aside, a child will start doing anything they can to get their parents' attention. And they'll, you'll see a little bit more acting out. Mm. So these things do play out, but, I don't, for, for new parents, if we just focus on the five primary conditions, it will help them so much with regardless what kind of style they have. Mm-hmm. It's later on when, you know, you've been a parent for a while and things are starting to get to, you know, starting to get a little bit hard because attachment is created in a dyad, a dyad between two. It plays out in a dyad. All right. And so what's going to help is like, let's say therapeutic intervention later, because it will have to be healed and repaired in a dyad. Meaning if somebody has a anxious, preoccupied attachment, then that needs to be repaired in the context of relationship. It's not something that someone can do on their own. Well, they would need guidance through that. So mm-hmm you know, like I kind of consider myself as I am a therapist, but I also feel like I'm also kind of a guide because I'll be like, well, this is the way we want to look at this. And this is the way we want to do this. And, you know, once again, I'm talking about something very cognitive, which it would be for an adult, but for a child, if we just kind of focus on this feeling of safety and we just want to be very mindful of making sure they feel seen and known, this is about the parent's behavior, but it's not about the parent so much. It's about what the child needs. And we want to put the child's need here to be very mindful of that because later on, you know, attachment is about needs as well. So if you're in a marriage and a lot of times what I see in dating is I see opposites attract. So I'll see a very, let's say someone with dismissive style will be very attracted to someone who has an anxious preoccupied style because they're opposites. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. I can see how that could happen. Yeah. Well, it does happen because, you know, it, you know, what the other, what that, you know, what, what is perceived by one looks so fabulous in the other, Mm -hmm. but then it causes problems because neither one knows how to help the other person meet their needs. So then it becomes huge. But then once again, what I do is I focus on these five primary conditions And we keep focused because this is what it's all about in all relationships. So what we want to do as mothers and parents and grandparents with a newborn, we want to get these in there. We want to establish them. We want to make them strong. We want to put all those good things into the children. And then you have a better chance later on. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. So safety, feeling seen and known, soothed, feeling valued and feeling that support for your, your best self. I love, I love all of those. So what are, what are some ways we can do that? I mean, what did, how did you do that with your kids when you were, you would obviously study this in grad school and then there you go, you, you have some children. Oh my gosh, there's a chance. (laughs) Well, let's put it this way. I was not a perfect mother. So even though I'm sitting here as an expert and I'm talking about all this, when I went to graduate school, I did it later on. So after college, I got married and had my children. I couldn't afford to go to graduate school. Mm-hmm. So I got married and I had my children. And believe it or not, you know, I wasn't focusing on attachment. 
Mm-hmm. You know what? I was focusing on being married and, you know, making sure that, you know, my house was good and my marriage was good and, you know, my children and I put them in and I thought I did everything well, you know, mm-hmm. and I did. My kids are great. They're fabulous. They have turned out so well, but it's not because I was cognitively aware of these five primary conditions. Right. Mm-hmm. So I went back to school when they were probably in junior high and, you know, elementary school and junior high. And I, I, I got my graduate degree and then I really got back into attachment. Mm-hmm. And it was at this point I got back into it and I was part of a group of people in Boston and we decided we used to meet regularly and discuss our cases with attachment and we wrote the book attachment disturbances in adults treatment for comprehensive repair. And this became it's 793 pages or 95 pages of dense everything about attachment. And out of that, I took those and I took just the five primary conditions because that book is really a textbook. And I did this new book for new parents. And I said, look, focus on these five, just focus on these five, make it easy. Because as a new mom, you know, a lot of people get scared away from attachment because when you're pregnant, you're like, I'm just going to love my baby and everything's going to be fine. I'm not going to have any problems. And I agree with you, but let me tell you, love is a verb. And let me give you the actions needed in that love to do it. It doesn't mean you're not going to have problems. It truly doesn't. It just means you have skills and where to keep your focus on, not so much on the child's behavior, but focusing on the relationship between the two of you is so much more important because it takes away from they're doing something bad. I'm a failure. No, no. You're just focusing on the relationship and what the relationship needs are these five primary things. And we keep it out of the individualness of it because attachment is relationship. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I, I love this because it's like about coming back to what's really important. You know, we as humans, we have our our negativity bias. We tend to focus on all the things that the chores that my child didn't do or um, the, <laughs> the way they're beating up on the brother and blah, 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 all these things. It's just part of our wiring is to focus on those. And what your, your invitation here is to say, these are what's, this is what's really, really important. Like, let's take a step back. Let's get that perspective to say, to see what is, what is really important more often, more often than not, Mm -hmm. you know, to send those love rays out of your eyes and to, to, to have that sense of safety. So I guess if we go back to the idea of, um, which is not the same as attachment theory, attachment parenting, those, those ideas, they're, they're based, I guess, on attachment theory, but you can, you know, have the sense of safety and feeling seen and heard and known without, for instance, like sleeping with your child for a long time or having them in a separate room and, and those kinds of, of things. I assume. Oh, absolutely. And I think attachment parenting, it was set up with the bees. It was like birth bonding, breastfeeding, baby wearing, you know, and I mean, I think those things are great, but at some point the child's got to sleep in its own bed, you know, so whether it's five or six or six months old, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I guess my problem with it, like it was very influential and and helpful for me. I, I did all that baby wearing and actually I slept with my child for, for a some time, but my problem with it is the feeling, the guilt trip on a parent who's like, I have needs, you know, I, I have need, I have a need for sleep. Like people can respond. I mean, we don't know how we're going to respond to lack of sleep until we're in it. And it can be incredibly difficult. And then you, you know, a parent may feel guilty for wanting to sleep on their own. You know, it's just, I, you know what, I, I agree with you. And I, I think what's, what's so hard, especially for moms, is we want to be perfect. We want to just, we want to do everything right. And the idea that we're going to mess up our child, there's no, you don't mess up your child. All right. But if we don't take care of ourselves as women, we are going to be of no use to our baby. And that's really what it comes down to. And it's the same thing when you get on an airplane and the pilot says, if, you know, in case the oxygen mask comes down, they don't say moms, put it on your children first and then put yours on because you're going to be of no use if you're worn down and you're going to be of no use. And one of the things that you just said, like about being guilty, you know, what causes guilt is, is this idea of should. Mm -hmm. So if you find your mind going into should, you need to redirect that because once your mind clicks into should, I should sleep with my baby. 
what happens is the minute you say should, what gets activated is guilt or resentment. There's nowhere else to go. Your resentment will come out if you do, your guilt will come out if you don't. And you're locked into this guilt and resentment power struggle. So what we want to do is we want to turn it around and say, I want to sleep with my baby. My baby's only going to be six months old for one month. That's it. After that, she's not six months old anymore. So if we put it into more of a positive perspective and we say, this is my baby. This is, I get such a small window for a one month old, or I get such a small window for a two month old. Why don't I just enjoy that instead of getting caught up in what I should be doing? Because if you get caught up in should, you're caught between guilt and resentment and you're going to be miserable because there's no way out. Should is either, it leads to either guilt or resentment. So it's so true. I mean, that's exactly right. Yeah. So let's, let's not shit on ourselves. Well, exactly. And I'll tell you something that goes across the board on, on, you know, because so much of it, and it also depends on your attachment style. Like, you know, if you have, let's say a little bit more of an anxious, preoccupied attachment style, you're going to constantly be comparing to other mothers and everybody else is doing a great job. And, you know, you comparing yourself to somebody is, 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 is one of the worst things you can do because you're more focused on your thoughts than on your relationship with your baby. Mm. And the baby is sitting there, not even involved in your thoughts about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So my recommendation is that we focus on the relationship between the mother and the baby. And we have to be kind to ourselves. We're in it for the long haul. And when I say 18 years, you're what, year 14 right now? Yeah. That seems like a long time. But if you break it down and say, gosh, she's only one month for one month, or she's only a year at one year, she's only, you know, two for one year, or she's only three for one year. When you break it down into those kind of stages, you enjoy it so much more because it's not this like life sentence ahead of you that you have to be perfect for the next 18 years. It doesn't work that way. It's staying in the moment. Be present. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Be present and and the stories, right? Like you're talking about like that storytelling mind and getting some freedom from that storytelling mind to really be present and be able to appreciate what's here and now. It's so, so beautiful. Paul, this has been amazing. I could probably <laughs> talk to you about these things for a really long time. Is there anything that we miss that you think is important for, for parents to hear about attachment and, and for parents of whatever age kids? I think what you want to really do is you just want to really look at your children once again with love. You're, when your children are older, they'll say to you, mom, why are you looking at me like that? Well, yeah. because they will, because they notice it. They notice when you're looking at them with love and they're like, like my daughter will say, mom, why do you have that look on your face? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I want to just say, stay present, enjoy the moment. You know, it's such an honor to be a mother. It's such an honor to bring somebody in the world. And it's such a, it's such a joyful time. And I think that if we get caught up in too many other things that, you know, let's say take away from that joy, we miss the whole process. And once again, you know, it's like now I walk through my house, my children are grown and I walk through the house and I go by their bedrooms and I think, wow, did I really raise my children? Did they once really live in this room? Because you know, when you look ahead 18 years, it seems like a long time. But when you look back, it just goes by in a second. So kind of bring it to the moment right now, because it really is a moment. So, so beautiful. Um, I love this, Paula. Where can people find out more about you? And since now we are on a video podcast, audio listeners, go check out the YouTube channel. I'll show a, an image of your book. Meep, meep, meep. <laughs> Back here. Okay. Uh, love raise. Where can people find out more about you and, and what you're doing in the world? Yes, please. You can go to my website, www.paulasax.com. I'm also on the attachment project.com and, um, that's how you find me. And just want to say, enjoy it. Enjoy life. Enjoy parenting and enjoy life and enjoy your relationships. You can make them richer just by knowing how to do it. It's not a mystery. Yay. Yes. Yes. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and the work that you've done and the wisdom you've brought and how you've broken it down to this really accessible, digestible level. It really, um, it really matters and it makes a big difference in the world. And I know it's going to be amazing ripple effects. So, um, so thank you so much, Paula.
Well, thank you very much for having me. Attachment is so important. Also, I just want you to know that sometimes we worry so much because we're taught you know, the ages zero to three are so vital and they're so important for kids. But you know what? That's kind of horrible sometimes for us as parents because that's when we're at our least skillful, the least experience. We probably have not invested in any training or help. So if you sometimes worry that, oh my gosh, I totally messed up my child between the ages of one and three. Don't. Everything is always changing. Impermanence and constant change are just facts of life. Nothing stays the same. Everything is constantly changing. And what we practice grows stronger. We can heal relationships at any age. And it is never too late to heal relationships. It's never, never too late to heal relationships. I taught mindful parenting to a group in person in my community, a low-income group, and a grandma was there taking the course with me because she was taking care of her six-year-old grandson. And she came to me at the end, and she was so pleased. She was calmer, less reactive. She was getting more cooperation from her grandson. Things were going a lot better, but that wasn't what she was so happy about. What she was so happy about was that she had healed her relationship with her adult daughter. So it's never too late. And these are the most important things in our life. So if you are interested in learning more about mindful parenting, want to get on the wait list for the next time we open, you can go to mindfulparentingcourse.com. If you are a therapist or a teacher or social worker, and you're interested in bringing the mindful parenting course into your local community. I still have a couple spots left, like I said in the intro, and you can learn more about the mindful parenting teacher training and certification course at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash teach. I have just a couple spots left for the fall and you would enroll now to go through the course yourself. So to learn more about that, check those out. And I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope you got a lot out of it. I want to hear what your takeaways are. I always appreciate that feedback. It's really why I do this work is to connect with you and to help you, to help all of us grow calmer and grounded and stronger so that we can make things better for the next generation. So if what we did today on this podcast with Paula affected you, please let me know. It really makes a huge difference to me, truly. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I wish you a beautiful week. Uh, And next week, we will be back talking about how to tame toddler tantrums. So be sure to be here next week and I will connect with you again there. When I say namaste, I mean that the light in me sees the light in you and acknowledges it. And you are energy and I am energy and what you do in your life affects me and I affect you. We all are interconnected with each other. So Thank you sincerely for taking the time to learn something new and to create more understanding and awareness in your life because it affects all of us. So thank you so much for listening, my friend. Namaste. I say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, It's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? 
Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.